Thank you again, Lord, just for your word, for Jesus, for your spirit. We do ask for your blessing to be upon um, our kids' church and the fundraising activities. Lord, can we raise hundreds, even more, thousands, for money to go to buy Bibles for needy kids in Africa, South Africa. Lord, we ask that you might work amongst us and of us to be generous in giving and supporting you and the work of your kingdom. So too, for kids' club and the training, may that be effective and motivating. May you bring along exactly the right leaders that you want to be there to hear the message yet again. May leaders and um, students likewise come to a saving faith in Jesus. Thanks, Lord, for the people over the weekend who committed their life to follow you because of Alpha. We just ask, Lord, just do it again. Keep doing it. Keep saving people. That's what your heart's desire is, and that's the purpose of this church. So here we are tonight, Lord, again, wanting to expose ourselves to your truth, wanting to submit ourselves to the authority of your word and for our lives to be shaped as we seek to follow Jesus. Speak to us and teach us, we pray, in his name. And everybody said... This morning we looked at verses 1 to 24 and so I'll give a very quick recap of that and then we're focusing tonight on verses 25 to the end, chapter 40, and there are three, I think, strong principles for us to take out of the passage and of course because it's written in a particular time and culture, some of this stuff is not relevant for us that you will see as we come to, but there will be a time in the future when it will be very relevant for followers of Jesus. Chapter 7, verse 1 begins with the Apostle Paul saying, Now about the matters that you wrote about. Up until now, up in chapter 1 to 6, Paul has been dealing with issues which he has prioritised, which he thought were a concern at Corinth in the church there. And so he's worked his way through those. And they had written to him, probably several times, who knows, but there was a series of questions. And those questions, particularly in chapter 7, go like this. Is getting married a good thing for a follower of Jesus. In fact, doesn't getting married mess up the ability you have to follow Jesus? And so therefore, Paul, if we are married, should we like certainly abstain from having sex with one another? Or even better, should we get divorced and separated so that we can live single, godly, devoted lives? And especially if... um, one of us gets converted but our wife or husband hasn't been converted won't they contaminate us and shouldn't we separate ourselves from them and then particularly in this passage tonight and what about our daughters whom we have a responsibility for to arrange a marriage for should we be doing that or should we make the decision for them not to get married what should we do what's the best way the corinthians had a totally different mindset to us their perspective was ancient greeks was that um The body was meaningless and useless. And therefore, it was either to be held in very strict control or it could just simply be indulged. The real you, the most important you, was your soul or your spirit, which at death was released from this terrible prison, this body which it's held in. And so there were the ascetics, those people who said the best thing to do was to suppress and to deny all bodily desires. Food, drink, sexual desires, all desires. And the more we do that, the more successful we are at doing that, then the closer we'll be to God, the closer we'll be to Jesus, the more successful 
we will be spiritually the highest spiritual status we'll have. That was their mindset. The others had the opposite. <clears throat> they were more like the indulgent ones. If you're hungry, eat something. If you're thirsty, drink something. And if you have any sexual desires, express it, you know, without inhibition. And it would seem from last Sunday night that this group of people, the, um, the looser, freer people, were the ones that Paul was addressing in chapter 6, which is what we did last Sunday night. And this chapter, chapter 7, seems to be more written to those who are more in the category of abstaining and getting out of marriage and so on. And so Paul is writing to them and answering their questions and he writes from his own perspective certainly, as we spoke about this morning. Paul probably was married because he trained to be a rabbi and he was a member of the Sanhedrin. To be a rabbi, to be a member of the Sanhedrin, you in fact had to be married. Well, if that is the case, evidence points that way, then where is she? We never read about her, he never talks about her. Has she died? never mentions it had she divorced him we don't know but that's the most common response of commentators these days they think that he became a passionate follower of jesus uh, he was a pharisee a very devout jew and she was being from a jewish family when he became a follower of jesus of nazareth she couldn't cope and she left him and paul sometimes in this chapter particularly in chapter 7 Occasionally you'll get a glimpse that he'll refer or imply um, almost that he's speaking from his own personal experience. So Paul writes to these people and he basically says, look, getting married is a gift and remaining single is a gift. And it depends on life circumstances and the situation you're in to determine which one is the best at the time. It's not a choice between right and wrong. It's a choice between... Um, what is good and what is better, what's better and what is best. It's that sort of a choice. And from Paul's perspective, he says that to be single, to not be married, to not be bound is the word that he uses, gives you a certain freedom and it allows you to serve and to follow the Lord Jesus more easily. And for married people, you can certainly follow the Lord as well, but you also have an extra responsibility, and that is to care for your partner. And so for you, married people can be distracted by the responsibilities, but single people can be distracted by their own passions and so on. And Paul writes, and he says very clearly, I think, in the front half of the chapter, that physical relationships in marriage to the uh, Corinthians, uh, marriage is good. They were saying, should we abstain from all sexual Activity and Paul is saying no, that's very important. Physical, um, marital relationships are essential to the marriage relationship. And so he writes about that in 3, 4 and 5. Then he writes and says, uh, if you end up getting divorced or through death you're separated, then you have a choice of remaining single and that's probably good because of the situation we'll come to in a minute. Um, but if you want to get married, then remarried, then that's fine says in verse 9 if you can't control yourselves they should marry it's better to marry than to burn burn with passion the NIV adds probably helpfully and then he says to the married I give this command not I but the Lord a wife must not must not it's a command separate or divorce her husband but if she does verse 11 Jesus says don't divorce but the reality is we live in a fallen world. Bad things happen for hardness of heart, 
divorce does happen. And if it does happen, then there are instructions there. Remain unmarried or else try to be reconciled to your husband and so on. And so Paul works his way through that. Even if you're married to a non-Christian, it's not an excuse to bust up the marriage, but in fact, stay together because you become an influence of the gospel in their life. And then he gets to the main part of the chapter, right in the middle of it, from verses 17. And we read to 24 this morning. And his point is the application, which is true for both single people and for married people, for all followers of the Lord Jesus. And in fact... He goes to move on from that, but he can't leave it. And so that's our first point for tonight as well, that the Apostle Paul gives us a principle, first principle. We are to remain in the state that we are in, not Queensland, but in the situation that we are in, in the circumstances, in the relationships that we are in. And as I said this morning, God saved us in a particular situation because he wanted you to be a witness in that situation in that family, in that work situation, in that school classroom, at that university, whatever your situation you find yourself in, he saved you in that place because he wants you in that place to be a light for him, to shine for him. So the first principle Paul gets to and and can't get away from is to say that remain where you are. Whatever situation you're in when God saved you, when he called you, endure. Don't, because you're now a new follower of the Lord Jesus, don't seek a way out. Don't seek, don't leave the state school and go to a Christian school. Don't leave your non-Christian partner and seek a Christian partner. Told the 8.30 service this morning a true story when we were planning a church in Sydney many, many years ago. A lady came to our church after several years and she had been married to a bloke who wasn't a Christian. Been married for a number of years, a couple of decades. And she was getting on and she was getting increasingly frustrated. She was praying he would become a Christian and he wasn't. He was quite stubborn and resistant to the whole thing. And through frustration, she eventually divorced him in order to marry another person who was a Christian because she really wanted to be in a Christian marriage. She thought that would make her happy. And so that was the choice she made. And she comes to us in that new married state. She was with us, I guess, 12 months, 18 months. And then guess what happened? The guy that she divorced became a Christian and she was devastated, absolutely heartbroken. She realised that she had done the wrong thing. If only she had stayed in the place where God had placed her, then she would have reaped all of the benefits and the blessings of still being married to the man who, her ex-husband, who now has become a follower of the Lord Jesus. Stay where you are unless God makes it very clear that he wants you to move on. That's a good word for all of us, isn't it? We should stay firmly committed. That's what Jesus modelled for us. Jesus, at the age of 12, goes to Jerusalem Temple where he's asked all of those questions and he makes a statement that he needs to be about his father's business. What happens at the end of that? They lost him. They came back looking for him. They found him. And then what happens? The Bible says he submitted to them and he returned with them and obeyed them. For the next 18 years, he returned to Nazareth, became a carpenter and was staying in the place where God had placed him to be God's person in that situation until God called him out. So I'm not sure where you're at tonight and what's going on in your mind and life, 
But that's the first principle. Let's read what it says again. Verse 25, Paul wants to move on to talk about the issue of what about young girls who are not married? Should we arrange marriages for them? He says, I don't have a command from the Lord about this, but I give you my judgment, my opinion, as one who by the Lord's mercy has proved trustworthy. Verse 26, because of the present crisis, I think it's good for a man, a person, to remain as he is. That's the principle, verse 26. He said it back in verse 17, he said it in verse 20, and he said it in verse 24, and he can't sort of move on. He's got to say it again. Because of the present crisis, what's the present crisis? Well, we don't have the details, but it sort of is the filter that you have to interpret this passage through these passages through. It would appear that Paul, perhaps prophetically, was becoming increasingly aware of rising oppositions from the Roman Empire against Christians. A time was coming when they would be taken before courts and before magistrates, they would be thrown into prison, and eventually they would be thrown to lions and killed. A terrible time of persecution was about to come because of the present crisis, the impending crisis. He makes statements about marriage and about singleness. He says, because of that, I think it's better that we stay as we are where we are. If you're married, stay married. If you're single, stay single. And so on. Just keep following Jesus in that process. He goes on and says, are you pledged to a woman? Are you engaged? Then don't seek to be released. Don't break it off. Are you free from such a commitment? You're thinking about getting engaged, but you're not engaged? Well, don't go looking for a wife. Not yet. Wait. But, he says, if you do marry, you haven't sinned. That's a relief, isn't it? But if you do marry, you haven't sinned. And if a virgin, a young girl, a young lady who has not been married ever, if she gets married, she hasn't sinned. But then, very honestly, Paul says, but those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And all of the married people said... Amen. And Paul says, I want to spare you that. Getting married is wonderful. Getting married has privileges, but getting married also brings with it troubles. There's troubles in this world, and it's always, not always, it's usually to do with people. And people have problems. And now that I'm married to a people, she has problems. My problems haven't halved. My problems have gone up. Her problems haven't halved, her problems have doubled, <laughs> gone up. Paul is saying, I'd like to spare you that extra responsibility and pain. There is joy and blessing that comes with it, but there is also heartache and struggle. But in those difficult times, God is growing us. That's partly what the Lord is always doing. All right, so that's the first principle, remain where you are. The second one, verses 29 to 31, gives us a second principle that we are to live for God in this world which is passing away. Stay where you are and live for God where you are because this world is temporary. Verse 29, he says, what I mean, brothers and sisters, is the time is short. And he uses a very interesting word. Come back to that. He says, from now on, those who have wives should live as if they don't. Those who mourn as if they didn't, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it wasn't theirs to keep, those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. Why? For this world in its present form is passing away. What the Apostle Paul is saying, that we are to adopt a different 
mindset. Not only are we to maintain our pre-conversion status, stations and relationships, but it's also true that we are to be detached from this world. Don't become too attached. This world is passing away. Time is short. And the word Paul uses is a particular word which describes the sail of a ship which has been rolled up because the ship is about to come into harbour and to dock. The time is rolled up. We're nearly there. Now, some commentators think Paul means the world is going to end. Jesus is coming. I don't think he means that. I think he means because of the impending crisis which is coming, your life is brief. I can't guarantee or assure you of how long you have to live, but because life is short, because life is brief, therefore, don't put roots down in this world as if this is your permanent home. Live for glory. Live in the light of eternity. Make sense? Um, don't be distracted or consumed with the temporal activities that mark this passing world. All of the things he says are all fine. They're all good. But don't be consumed with them. Don't let them become your whole and sole focus that you get distracted from following Jesus, of being his person in the situation where he's got you. So notice he does not say, from now on, those who have wives should stop having wives and say that. He says those who have wives should live as if, as if they do not. Don't let your marriage become distracting, and it can. Or those who mourn, those who are upset and sorrowful, you can become obsessed with it, you can become engrossed in it. Don't do that. And so on for all of the things. Don't be distracted or consumed with the temporal things that go on in this world. Because this world is passing away. It's not permanent. Be the person God wants you to be, where you are. Continue to live for God in this passing world. And the third principle that we get to take away from tonight is... Um, that we are to serve God with undivided devotion. You get that especially in verse 35. We are to serve God in the situation where he has placed it, not distracted by the involvement of things in the world, but living for him with undivided devotion. Verse 32, he says, I would like you to be free from anxiety, from worries and concerns. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. If you're not married, if you're single... It's easier to focus upon pleasing Jesus. But, verse 33, a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And so he should be. It's part of his responsibilities. If you're a husband, then your responsibility is to please your wife. I'm glad Rhonda's not here to hear this. And verse 34 says, very honestly, and his interests are divided. I want to please Jesus, but I also want to please my wife. And sometimes I can't do what I want to do for Jesus because I have to please or look after her. And for her, vice versa. Paul goes on to say exactly the same. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and soul. But a married woman, she's concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. Amen. So she should be. How she can please her husband. 
And Paul's point is, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in an undivided devotion to the Lord. That's the point. Live where God has saved you, where he has placed you. Focus upon him and don't be distracted by the, um, the things of this world which are passing. And that takes effort. Because when we buy something, we enjoy it, don't we? We look forward to it and we enjoy it. Don't be consumed by it. Don't be consumed by happiness, happy experiences or by sad experiences or getting involved in the wheelings and dealings of this world. Don't be consumed by it. You have to do it, but keep it under control. Bearing in mind that you're serving him, he's first. And to do so in, in, with undivided devotion. Now the Apostle Paul wants to take that and he um, wants to apply it to two situations. I think that's clear. I don't need to say anything else about that. If you've got any questions, you can ask them at the end, I guess. The two situations are the ones that are not quite applicable to us in our society and world, but the principles are true that I've just given you. Those three principles, remain where you are, um, serve God even in the midst of a passing world and do so with undivided devotion. Those are applicable for us in all life situations. Now Paul gets specific with the Corinthians, verse 36. If anyone is worried, got a question about, that he might not be acting in an honourable way towards the virgin, his daughter, or his betrothed, his fiance, and that's how the NIV takes it, that he's engaged to. And if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He's not sinning, he should get married. Even though there's a present crisis and even though time is short and even though this world is passing away, it's still not wrong to get married. But it will bring its own troubles and it will bring its own extra responsibilities for you. But it's still okay. And it's really up to you. It's your choice. Then he goes on to say, <clears throat> verse 37, but the man who was settled in his own mind um, and that he's not under necessity or compulsion, thinks he can control his will, um, uh, and he's made up his mind not to go ahead with the marriage that he's proposed, that he is engaged to this young lady with, this man is doing the right thing because of the present crisis, because of what's coming, that's why. So then he who marries the virgin is doing right, but the one who doesn't marry her because of this situation is doing better. And because the reality is um, to suffer for the Lord Jesus is going to be difficult, but to suffer for the Lord Jesus if you have a wife or children is going to be more difficult because the enemy will use your loved ones to get at you. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened in history that the Romans took the friends and the relatives and the spouses of the Christ, the Christ followers, the Christians, and tried to persuade them, just renounce Jesus and come back to me. Just renounce Jesus and come home, Daddy, and, you know, and serve us and everything will be okay. And some of them did. There was all sorts of horrible threats of what they would do to their wife or to their children or, or whatever. And so meant some, many, gave in. Those who didn't give in, the, true, the martyrs of the faith from the earlier centuries, they made a very gracious comment. They said to the bishops and to the churches, as they were proceeding to their martyrdom, they said, when these brothers who have renounced the faith, when they repent and return, receive them. Because it's, you have no idea of the pressure 
that was there. The martyrs themselves were saying, you should stand firm for Jesus. That's what he instructs. It's what he wants. But it's certainly understandable in this fallen world that it's very difficult. And it's dangerous to renounce Jesus because you do have to repent. And if you don't, your eternal destiny would be sealed. So that's what Paul says to, what do you do with your fiancé or what do fathers do with their daughters or so on? Then he gives a final uh, example, a specific example, verse 39. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. That's what marriage does. It binds you and it obligates you. There are certain things required of you. But if a husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes. Only he must belong to the Lord, a follower of Jesus. In my judgment, she will be happier if she stays as she is. All the women say, Amen. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. So two specific examples at the end, which are not directly applicable to us because we're not in that time and crisis. But a time is coming in the future. I'm not sure of which American pastor said it, but he predicted that the next generation of pastors will go to prison for Jesus in the United States. And he said, in the generation after that, will die for Jesus. So he sees the trend increasing even in the states of opposition. Jesus certainly said, Matthew 24, that there will come a time when we will be hated by all nations. That's not the case just yet. I don't know what the current figure is, um, and this sounds way too low for now, but 10, 12 years ago I read somewhere that the number of nations in the world who do not persecute Christians, who do not uh, oppose, bring any disadvantages to being a follower of Jesus, numbers about 12. It's a low number, isn't it? Like I said, I'm not sure of the accuracy of that. But what it means is that there is coming a time when this passage will be very relevant. That you'll have to make very serious choices about do I get married or don't I? In view of what's coming. Will I be able to be, maintain my allegiance to Jesus and not deny him? That's what the important thing is. So God has an assignment for you. Whether it's single or married, both are a gift and a calling from him. Single people can have a distraction where they're consumed with their own passions and desires and they just dream and wish they could get married. Married people, likewise, have their own troubles and difficulties and some of them sometimes dream of being single or of being married to somebody else. Stay in the situation where you are unless the Lord directs you otherwise. It's not a sin to get married. But a married person will be distracted with these extra responsibilities. It's God's will for both, for us, to be fully devoted to him, to stay where he saved us unless he calls us out, to not be distracted by the things and activities of this passing world and to have undivided devotion to Jesus. As a single person, it's easier. Not easy, easier. And for a married person, you have to work harder. You have to make the effort in order to have that devotion, that undivided devotion to the Lord Jesus. That'll do. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for relationships. Thank you for the gift of marriage. Thank you for the gift of those who embrace singleness. Use both of us, Lord, in the situations where you have placed us. Help us to be unashamed, undivided, undistracted as we seek to follow and obey the Lord Jesus. Give us wisdom.
to be discerning and analysing each of the situations we find ourselves in. But in all things, we ask that Jesus, you might bless us and use us to honour your name. We pray in your name. Amen.